Welcome to the Predictably Treacherous Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Predictably Treacherous Podcast, the inaugural episode. Today's episode is Murder by the Book, starring Jack Cassidy and Barbara Colby as one of the victims, at least the most interesting one. This is episode one of season one. This episode was directed by Steven Spielberg. Yes, that's Steven Spielberg. And written by Steven Bocco. The original air date was September 9th, 1971, and the runtime... 73 minutes. Let's get right to the episode summary. Ken Franklin and James Ferris make up a writing team that writes the Mrs. Melville mystery series. James is breaking off their partnership so that he can pursue more serious writing. Ken hasn't written in years, and when their partnership dissolves, will be losing his cash cow and is likely to suffer some professional embarrassment and potentially financial ruin when James continues to write and he does not. The murder scene. The opening scene shows a car driving down a street with the sound of a typewriter. James Ferris is typing up the last few lines of a mystery novel in his office in a tall office building with a view of the city. A car pulls into the vacant parking lot of the building. The driver is Ken Franklin, Jack Cassidy. He retrieves a gun from the glove compartment. There's a knock at the office door. James opens the door, and Ken is pointing a gun in his face. James hesitates, then smiles. He isn't fooled. Ken admits that he's just playing a practical joke. It's an awkward icebreaker. Ken just wants to apologize for blowing up the previous day when James told him about wanting to break off their partnership. James says forget it. Ken wants to take James to his cabin so that they can celebrate their successful careers together, and their new beginnings. James is reluctant to go. Ken says that he'll have James back before midnight. Then he makes James feel guilty enough that he agrees to blow off plans with his wife and leave with Ken for the cabin. Before leaving, Ken inconspicuously sets his lighter down on a table. They head out to the parking lot. Ken says he made a list of things that he would like to take from the office and hands James a folded piece of paper. James unfolds it, looks it over, and hands it back to Ken, a little puzzled. He tells Ken it's a list of names. Ken pretends that he made a mistake and acts like he's feeling a bit scattered. They're about to get in Ken's car, and Ken realizes that he forgot his lighter in the office. He says it's his security blanket and he goes back up to get it while James waits in the car. Now in the office, we have a recurring Columbo trope, the tossing of a room. Ken knocks over some books, tips over some chairs, and throws papers into the air. He wants to make it look as if someone was rifling through the office looking for something. He places the list of names that now has James's fingerprints on it in a drawer and lights a cigarette, a villainous display. 
Especially considering that he's been up there for like 10 minutes. How long does it take to get a lighter? Now Ken and James are driving to the cabin. Ken stops at a local general store to give the proprietor, a Miss Lily Lasanka, who loves Ken, an autographed book. James waits in the car. Miss Lasanka is curious about who Ken is with. She thinks it's a lady friend, and she starts to look out the window, but Ken stops her and insists that he's all alone. Ken uses the payphone in the store to call Joanna, James's wife, and tell her that he has just left James at the office and he has agreed to the terms of the separation. To strengthen his alibi, Ken tells Joanna that he will be alone in his cabin for a couple of days in case she needs to reach him in an emergency. Back in the car, James says he's experiencing deja vu. As we will discover later, this is in reference to the method that Ken is using to set up the killing of James, taken directly from a Mrs. Melville story that James no doubt wrote. Now in Ken's cabin, we have another recurring Columbo trope, leather gloves. Ken is inexplicably wearing leather gloves inside the cabin, and there's a plastic cover over the couch. Now James is a mystery writer. Shouldn't his radar be going off that he's about to be murdered? Leather gloves, plastic cover on couch. Although I'm not sure why Ken is wearing leather gloves exactly, considering he's in his cabin. I mean, his fingerprints are all over the place. I guess it's to prevent powder burns on his hands, but uh, but then again, no one's around, so he should have time to wash his hands after the murder. Well, nevertheless, like a red shirt on an away mission, James is oblivious to his impending doom. James looks distracted. He's feeling guilty for ditching Joanna. Ken suggests that he phone Joanna and tell her he's at a critical juncture in his novel and he's going to work late and finish it. Now reluctantly, James agrees and calls Joanna. He tells her he's at the office working late and he wants to finish this chapter and it will be the last time and bang! Ken shoots James while he's on the phone. This is a very risky move. James could have said Ken's name, or there could have been a misfire, or he could have told her the truth that he's at Ken's cabin. Joanna screams. She hangs up and calls the police. Now outside Ken's cabin, he prepares the trunk of his car for the body. Ken has a wry smile on his face. There's a bumper sticker on his car that says, Have a nice day. Right on cue, Joanna calls Ken at the cabin and tells him about the shooting. He tells her he's sure it's a practical joke, but he'll come straight back to the city anyway. He hangs up the phone and has a drink. The Columbo Intro Back at the office, where James was seemingly killed, the police are grilling Joanna. Now, Joanna is a fine-looking lady, but she is wearing some bizarre red and purple outfit. She looks like she's going to jump through a ring of fire while riding a horse. So feeling overwhelmed with the grilling from the police, Joanna leaves the office for a drink of water from the fountain in the hallway. Columbo enters. Columbo tells her she looks exhausted, like she's had enough of answering questions. He says she looks like she hasn't had anything to eat and that he's going to take her home. The He Knows Scene Back at her home, He starts to make her an omelette, cracking eggs and grating cheese into a bowl. No hand washing. 
If you're one of those people who has a primal fear of salmonella, the scene will be quite disturbing for you. He asked her some questions about her husband's partnership with Ken Franklin. She had snickered earlier when he referred to Ken as one half of the writing duo. Joanna informs Columbo that Ken didn't do any of the writing, but he did contribute to the partnership. He handled the PR. She also lets him know that the partnership is over and that Ken did not take it very well. Let's listen to the clip. Maybe that's why he decided to go out on his own. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Because he wanted to do some serious work. No kidding. How did Mr. Franklin take that? Not very well. But he'll get over it. Gee, I hate to be in issues. Why? Well, you got a writing team and a very famous naughty breakup, and what happens? One fella continues writing books, and the other fella just stops. That's what I keep telling Jim. That sooner or later, people are bound to find out. What, that your husband did all the writing? Hmm? Yeah. Kind of tough on Mr. Franklin's ego. Right at the part when Joanna says, not very well, Columbo gives Joanna a long look, and you can tell he knows. He also seems to recognize the implications that after the duo breaks up, one writer will keep writing while the other will not, and then people will speculate that James was responsible for all the writing while they were together. Shortly after this, Ken arrives. Immediately, Columbo tries to trick Ken into revealing that he knows more information about the murder than he should. Then he begins acting simple with Ken. This becomes a common mechanism for Columbo as the episodes go on, acting simple with a villain to gain an upper hand by luring the villain into trying to direct Columbo towards a particular explanation for the murder. Ken then tells Columbo that Mrs. Melville would be way ahead of him by now. She would know that this was a professional killing. Playing the Fool Now back at the office, Ken shows Columbo the list that he had James touch earlier. It's a list of organized crime names. Columbo continues to play simple so that Ken will take him where he wants him to go. Let's listen to the clip. Take a look at that. I'll put it on the desk. Just drop it. Because of the fingerprints, you know. My Jim's fingerprints are all over that. So are mine. What is it? What's it look like? It's a list of names. Look at that. Musto, Delgado, Hathaway, Westlake. Sound familiar? Uh, yeah, kind of. Well, they should. That's a list of some of the top men in organized crime on the West Coast. L.A., Vegas, Fusco. I don't understand. Well, it's painfully obvious. One of these men had Jim killed. Really? Why? Tell me something. How long have you been a lieutenant, lieutenant? So Ken's explanation is that Jim was going to write an expose of organized crime and was off to stop the book and as a warning to other would-be authors. Before Columbo leaves, Ken gives him a stack of Mrs. Melville books so that he can pick up some pointers from an expert. In the next scene, Ken drives home and dumps James's body on his lawn. Then he strolls into his house, and while leafing through the mail, calmly calls the police to inform Columbo. Now outside Ken's home, the police are taking the body away. Ken tells Columbo that when he got home, James's body was on the lawn. He puts on an act like he's disgusted that the media is swarming around the body taking pictures. Ken and Columbo go inside. 
Inside Ken's home, Columbo sees the artwork that Ken has and realizes how expensive his tastes are. He asks if Ken is entitled to James's royalties after his death, and then suggests that he's SOL unless he took out life insurance on his partner. Ken quickly tries to bring the subject back to it being a professional hit. Columbo then asks Ken why he thinks the body was left on the lawn. Ken explains to Columbo that leaving the body on the lawn was a warning not to continue his partner's work. Columbo asks Ken again to go over exactly what happened when he came home tonight and found his partner on the lawn. Ken tells Columbo that he came home, found James's body on the lawn, and simply called the police. So Columbo's confused. He can't understand why Ken's mail is open. He explains to Ken that if he came home and found his dead partner on his lawn, he wouldn't take the time to open up his mail. Ken doesn't have a good explanation for this. He tells Columbo that it was an unconscious reaction. Columbo tells him if anything comes up, he'll call him. Then he leaves. So next we have a short scene where Columbo is buying an insurance agent, a Mr. Tucker, a hot dog. It's curious that the agent is confused at first, thinking Columbo wants insurance for himself. And he says it's about time, so they obviously have a prior relationship. But Columbo wants to know whether Ken had a policy on James with Mr. Tucker's company. Do Ken and Columbo use the same insurance agent? Why does this guy know Columbo? Anyways, I think we're meant to take away that Ken did have a policy on James. In the next scene, Ken and a lady friend are at a show. The lady friend is in an episode of Banachek. Let's hear it for a living legend. We'll be going over that episode at a later time. Lily Lysanka, the general store owner, is in the crowd and flags Ken down loudly. She tells Ken that he should cancel his plans and take her out for dinner so that she can tell him her story about a witness. Ken understands the insinuation and they go to dinner. During dinner, Ken is creepy charming towards Lily, staring at her. During dessert, he asks her to tell her story about the witness. Lily confirms that she saw James in Ken's car when they stopped off at her store on the way to Ken's cabin. She confesses that she's very interested in Ken and doesn't want to get him in trouble. She wants $15,000 to keep quiet. He says she's a woman of some breeding and not a common blackmailer, and he's glad she came to him rather than the police. He wholeheartedly agrees to her terms and feeds her a sugar-covered strawberry, both literally and metaphorically. Now back at Ken's home, Columbo arrives. Ken is being interviewed by a journalist from a magazine. He's flirting with her. Then he turns to Columbo, spits venom at him, turns back to her, and continues shamelessly flirting. He tells her that after the death of his partner, Mrs. Melville will be retiring. When the interview is over, he ignores the photographer struggling to carry his equipment to the door, and he needlessly sees the interviewer out. After the journalist leaves, Ken is getting ready to leave for his cabin. Columbo is there to drop off the Mrs. Melville books. He asks if Ken is going alone because there are two bottles of champagne. Ken says they're both for him. As Ken is leaving, Columbo says there was a record of a call from Ken's cabin to the Ferris house on the day of James's murder. He asks Ken to explain. Ken says he called Joanna 
to tell her that he had agreed to the terms of the separation. Then Ken drives off to his cabin. He arrives at the general store. He gives Lily the briefcase with the $15,000, and he asks her to make the two of them dinner. And she sees no reason why she shouldn't have dinner with a murderer that she's blackmailing. And so she agrees. So now at dinner, they're both having champagne, and Lily is getting a little tipsy. Ken suggests that they go out to the lake in a rowboat. Now she says it wouldn't be very intelligent for her to get into a boat with him. Oh, that wouldn't be intelligent. She takes a look at the money in the briefcase, and she starts wish wishing that her dead husband was there. Ken sneaks up behind her with an empty bottle of champagne, and he knocks her out. Then he rows her out to the middle of the lake in a little rowboat. He throws the champagne bottles in the water and capsizes the boat. Then he swims back to shore. So in the morning, Ken is coming back from fishing and the police are dragging Lily's body from the lake. Ken gets back to his cabin and Columbo knocks on the window. For the first time, Ken looks a little worried. Columbo asks what caused all the traffic, and Ken tells him that a local woman drowned. It's a nice little exchange. Let's listen to the clip. Except for that bottleneck down the roadabout. Oh, there was a drowning. Well, what was it, a fisherman? Well, I heard someone say it was a local woman. Uh, a Miss Masanka or something? Like, something like that, yeah. Yeah. Did you know her? Not really, no. I was just wondering, because when I was in the kitchen before, I noticed a grocery box with oh, her name I on it. occasionally buy supplies there, sure, like anyone else who lives around here. Mm. I think she was the one that drowned. Yeah. Because I uh, stopped by the grocery store on the way here to pick up some cigars, and I noticed it was closed, and the cops' cars around. Well, if it was her, I... I'd be very sorry. She was always very friendly. Yeah, that's a shame. Oh, you did know her? Lieutenant, I know a lot of people without really knowing them. You know, like barbers, waitresses, parking lot attendants, even the cop on the beat. Nice clip. Seems like Columbo knows that this is Ken's second victim. Columbo goes to the general store to have a look around. He wanders into Lily's living area. Her place seems a little sad now. It's cozy and has country charm but the scene is dead silent. Columbo opens the table drawer. Nothing there. He looks through the newspapers in the rack under the table. Nothing. He opens the firewood box by the fireplace, maybe to see if Lily had a fire last night. He kicks a champagne cork that was beside the box, and it rolls across the floor. He picks it up and smells it. It's recent. Having found what he was looking for, he wanders back into the general store slowly. He walks through an aisle and past a shelf with some books. All of the books are light in color and faded looking, and one book with a black cover is sticking out from the rest, and the word murder is written quite clearly on it. Columbo takes the book out, and it's the latest Mrs. Melville book with an inscription from Ken to Lily on the front and side cover. So now we're back at Joanna's home. Columbo is telling Joanna that the book with the inscription proves that Ken knew Lily intimately, and the champagne cork seems to indicate that Ken was with her on the night of her death. 
He further explains that he thinks Lily knew something and may have been trying to blackmail Ken because Ken withdrew $15,000 from his bank that morning and then redeposited the money the next day. Joanna is still incredulous. She asks, what's Ken's motive for killing James? And Columbo explains that he needed cash. He had two houses. He gambled. He had women and art. He was bleeding cash. The insurance policy on James's life would provide him with a windfall. Columbo asks Joanna for a match, and she gives him a matchbook. As he's lighting the cigar, he sees that something is handwritten on the matchbook. It's an idea for a murder mystery. He asks Joanna to talk about James and Ken and their relationship and anything she can think of, hoping something will click. Let's recap what's happened up to this point. Ken Franklin and James Ferris make up a writing team that writes the successful Mrs. Melville mysteries. James is breaking off their partnership so they can pursue more serious writing. Ken lures James out to his cabin, murders him, and in the process makes it seem like James was murdered while alone in his office. Lily Lysenka is a witness to the murder of James. She attempts to blackmail Ken and becomes the second victim. Columbo knows that Ken is the murderer, but needs some hard evidence linking Ken to the crimes. He has asked Joanna Ferris for help with making the connection so that he can make an arrest. The Get Scene the next scene, Ken is outside the office. He asks a mover in a truck how much longer until all his stuff is packed, and the mover says they haven't started yet. Ken enters the office, and Columbo and the police are there, and he's pissed. Columbo tells him that he's there to arrest him for murder. He tells Ken that the first murder was done well, but the second was sloppy. How could he come up with such a brilliant idea for the first murder and being so sloppy with the second murder. He must have got the idea from James. Mrs. Ferris told Columbo that James wrote his ideas down on scraps of paper, matchbooks, napkins, etc. Then Columbo shows Ken the scrap of paper that had the first murder described almost verbatim. Let's listen to what happens next. Is this your part? Well, I think I can prove it is. Maybe I ought to read this to you. Idea for a Melville book, perfect alibi. A wants to kill B. Drives B to a remote house and has him call his wife in city. Tells her he's working late at the office. Bang, bang. Sound familiar? That's the part you used. Practically word for word. Should I read some more? No. Officer? With this, I think I got a conviction, don't you? You gotta admit I had you going for a while now, didn't I? Yes, you did. <laughs> you want to know the irony of all of it? That is my idea. The only really good one I ever had. I must have told it to Jim over five years ago. Whoever thought that idiot would write it down. And there it is. Ken admits to the crime and takes a dig at James in the process. So there we have it. A very promising first episode. I actually ranked this episode 13th on my personal ranking of Columbo episodes from the original 70s run. Interesting note. According to Wikipedia, in 1997, TV Guide ranked this episode 16th 
on its 100 greatest episodes of all time list. Quite an honor. So Jack Cassidy as the villain. He was born in 1927 and he died in 1976 in a house fire, actually. Cassidy struggled with uh, alcoholism and mental illness throughout the later period of his life. He appeared in three Columbo episodes. Besides this one, there's season four's Publish or Perish, great episode, and season five's Now You See Him, which I have ranked as my number one Columbo episode. He always played the villain. Besides Columbo, he appeared in a slew of TV shows in the 60s and TV movies in the 70s. Too many to mention. He has one of the greatest IMDb headshots that you're likely to see. Okay, let's move on to Barbara Colby. Born in 1939, died in 1975, another short-lived one. Shot for no apparent reason with a colleague, James Kiernan, in a parking lot. Kiernan also later died. She acted in some TV shows and movies in the early 70s. Most notably, she had a recurring role on Phyllis at the time of her death. She was replaced by Liz Torres, who went on to be in 20 episodes of Phyllis. I know Liz Torres from Gilmore Girls. That's right. I'm a Gilmore Girls fan. I want to move on to uh, what I call the the, the theory of Columbo. Uh, it's a bit grandiose sounding, but um, for me, there's there's sort of a template for Columbo episodes. So not all of the elements appear in every episode, but most of the elements appear in any given episode. Okay, so let's get right to it. So there's the murder scene. Um, the murder scene occurs at the beginning of the episode. It's... Um, the audience is privy to it, and Columbo is not. That's about as simple as it gets. The next sort of element, not necessarily next in order, but one of the things that happens is the Columbo intro. Columbo, uh, he's usually shown as bumbling or incompetent, um, kind of an everyman, like a, you know, a bonehead. Sometimes this involves something silly about his behavior or typically about his car. Okay. The next major element is Columbo determines the primary suspect. Now, this typically happens pretty shortly after Columbo is introduced. Um, and he usually determines the primary suspect from a seemingly insignificant piece of evidence or some sort of arbitrary clue. Okay, So um, it's often something that's difficult to pick up on exactly what he sees. It's not mentioned. It's often a look that he gives or the camera will pause on him and show him making a face. And looking back at the end of the episode, you can see the moment where he knows. And I'll talk about that in all my episodes. But um, so the next major element is Columbo always interacts with the primary suspect. So I call it playing the fool. He likes to play the fool with the primary suspect so that he can do a number of things. I guess elicit alternate theories of the crime is one of the big things. So his interactions with the villain, um, who he's determined as a primary suspect very early. His interactions with the villain will usually get the villain to uh, suggest an alternate theory of the crime. And this helps Columbo to gather evidence. So that's the other thing he does. He tries to gather evidence by interacting with the primary suspect. It's not really evidence for convicting a suspect. It's more for um, confirming his own internal theories. He also uses the gathering of evidence to 
set a trap, okay? Which is the next major element, the laying the trap. So after interacting with the villain, Columbo's gathered evidence, he's gained suspicions, and he'll usually use the information he's got from the villain to lay a trap, or I don't want to say usually, okay, in some episodes he does lay a trap. Um, so he may suggest a missing piece of evidence uh, to the primary suspect, um, and he'll suggest that this piece of evidence would allow him to close out his investigation, sometimes in a way that fits the killer's alternate theory of the crime, and sometimes it's to give the uh, killer a rock-solid alibi, okay? So the missing piece of evidence would give the killer an alibi. Um, and then the next major element is the get. So if he's laid a trap and if the villain falls into it, then uh, what will happen in the get scene is the villain will try to create the missing evidence and Columbo will usually catch the villain in the act of creating the missing evidence or, which is doubly good, he'll use the evidence in a new way to catch the villain and then the villain will concede to the crime. So this is typically the, I don't know, well, not typically, as I said, kind of the template. Um, these are the major elements. Not every episode has all these elements, but many of the episodes have many of these elements. So there's the murder scene, the Columbo intro, Columbo determines the primary suspect, Columbo interacts with the primary suspect, the laying the trap, and the get scene. So that's it for today. I hope everybody enjoyed the episode. Please check out my website, www.predictablytreacherous.com and tune in next week for Death Lends a Hand starring Robert Culp and Ray Milland. Here's a brief summary. Arthur Kennicutt is a newspaper mogul. He's married to a much younger woman and suspects she is having an affair. Kennicutt has hired the firm Bremner Associates to have his wife's activities investigated. Bremner's firm finds that Mrs. Kennicutt has, has been cheating, but Bremner offers her a chance to pass information to his firm in exchange for their silence. She refuses the offer and turns the tables on Bremner by threatening to expose his deception to her powerful husband. Be sure to tune in next week.